It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I met today's guest at an in-person adoption community conference in 2017 held in Atlanta, Georgia. What's interesting is we reconnected recently when she sent the most endearing message on Facebook about our initial connection. Her name is Valerie Naiman. And recently, it only took moments to feel her warmth and interest in getting to know each other better. Valerie is an adoptee in Reunion and preparing to release her memoir, Mystic Masquerade, An Adoptee's Search for Truth. As you'll soon discover in her upcoming book, she's a secret to her natural family. Her personal journey throughout six decades delves into life's biggest mysteries as she searched for her identity. Whether you like a good mystery, are searching for your family, or simply curious about your ethnicity, you're sure to be inspired by her words. Aside from being an adoptee, she is a story song writer, singer, and an environmental activist. In this episode, you will hear Valerie share part of her adoption story and how it has affected her life's journey. There are many experiences that have beautifully colored her choices to live a healthy and meaningful life. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is creative, innovative, and explores the human condition from many angles. She credits so many influences that inspired her to write her book, publish it in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. I have learned so much from her in such a short period of time and look forward to learning much more. Well, hello, Valerie. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jennifer. Yeah. I'm so excited about our, our chat today. I am, too. I'm happy to have it. And there's so much about your life that just makes me, like, perk up. <laughs> so I wanted to, for the listeners, I wanted to share a bit of your bio. You're an adoptee. Sure. Yeah, you're an adoptee, an author, story song writer passionate singer, repurposer, goat mama, mm-hmm. apparis, am I pronouncing that right? That's a, um, a bee mama. I have honeybees. Yeah, gardener, environmental mm-hmm. activist, and eco-village founder living in North Carolina. I got to ask you, what is a goat mama? Oh, well, when COVID hit, and there was no cream in the store, and I thought, oh, well, I got this. <laughs> so I got goats, and I still have them. They're a lot of fun, and um, I just call myself a goat mama. That's fascinating. Goats. How many goats do you have? I only have two now, and it's so funny because I thought, Oh, my God, here I am in my late 60s, and I'm having kids for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) They call call goats kids, and I I never did figure that out. Why do they call kids kids and goats kids? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. Right. But I love my kids. Yeah, it's funny how we had to pivot behind the pandemic, behind the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... Yeah, our lives are very different now. And I I love to hear when people were able to, to find something as you have with the goats because of what was going on in, in the world. So I guess let's just get started mm-hmm. wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. Well, I think this is the third time we've talked. And the first time was, was briefly. And that was when... You probably don't remember, but I met you in 2017 in Atlanta at the American Adoption Congress. 
and I bought your book, The Truth So Far. That's right. And when I read it, I was just really taken by your book, and I created a nickname for you. Do you want to know what it is? I do, and and thank you for buying my book. <laughs> yes, thank you. Oh, yeah. So I named you Baby BB. <laughs> and what that stood for is Bonnie at birth. Mm. Baby Bonnie at birth. It just struck me somehow, and the whole time I read your book, I'm like, oh, this is Baby Bunny at birth. So my nickname for you is Baby BB. Well, thank <laughs> you. Uh, that sounds endearing. <laughs> <laughs> and as I read your book, I was very inspired. And the whole uh, Congress was inspiring to me. It was a turning point in my life. And your story especially inspired me to hire a detective. Mm. And I, I did. I hired three of them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, the first one just gave me information I'd already given him, and the second one was the same. And then the third one, I didn't know until decades later, had actually given me some factual information. But at the time, you know, he said he could get into documents that no one else had access to. But at the time, when he gave me the information, there was no one by that name there was nothing that I could track down. The actual supposedly address of where my mother was living at my birth didn't even exist. And so I just blew that one off as being another hiccup. And uh, all three of them, I thought, well, geez, I just I wanted to put a bloodhound on these three sleuthy detectives and got nowhere with it. And, then I ended up having this bright idea. If I could find a couple of psychics to give me the same name, then I'd have something. Because mm. I'd really been into esoteric knowledge and this kind of thing because I always wanted to know what's behind the mystery. Kind of like, I guess you, you know, you've, you've kind of been a hero for me and my detective mind, I keep going back to, well, I can get this. <laughs> and <laughs> I always wanted to know what was behind the mysteries, what's behind the secrets. And, and so psychics was one avenue. And I found out that the largest congregation of psychics lives in a place called Casadega, Florida. So I went and I had reading after reading and and uh, no one gave me the same names. It was later I found out that one of the names and one of the hints was actually true. But there was nothing in any of my DNA that matched up with anything I was told. So that whole psychic experience didn't really get me very far. At the time, I searched for decades, absolutely decades. You know, you'd asked, you know, what makes an adoptee an adoptee and what our stories are. I never knew I was adopted and I was a showpiece for my adopted mother. I think she had always wanted to be an actress or something. And so she would dress me up and put me in pageants and They'd take me to restaurants, put me on a table, so I'd tap dance. I was kind of a Shirley Temple. And I never fit into the family. I never looked like anyone. And my adopted parents were so much older than me. I mean, than my parents. My adopted parents were so much older than all of my other friends' parents. I think I remember reading in your book that you had a similar situation. I did. I yeah, my parents yeah. were old enough to be my grandparents, yeah. Exactly. Same with me. Nothing, it just didn't fit right. And so attempting to find my own identity, I became a, a person with numerous masks, and that's one of the reasons that the book I'm about to um, release is called Mystic Masquerade, An Adoptee's Search for Truth. Congratulations. Like <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited so for you. Yes. 
Yeah, it's really a major accomplishment. It's been kind of a a recapitulation of my life. Mm. A lot of people get that after they pass out of the physical body. You know, you go through a recapitulation and I've been able to do it while I'm alive. So I, I feel grateful for that piece because I kept journals forever. Um, I was always a little writer. <laughs> My father was a publisher and he always wanted me to be a writer. So I journaled and journaled and journaled. And, and when I went to see those psychics, three of them told me that I was a writer and I needed to finish my story, whatever it was. And so it happened. Yeah. Um, That's pretty cool. Just, yeah. 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 So what story makes me me is I've masqueraded my whole life and I've come out the other side into what I think is my authentic self, finally, after decades. Mm, you know, I got an opportunity to listen to the audio from your book, Chapter 5, and there was a line that just stuck with me. It was, various actors fighting inside my head, is what you wrote. And I just pictured that. You want to talk a little yeah. bit about what that means? These various actors inside of my head um, what they became is what I call my inner community. So I had an inner community in there that would fight with me and or show me all these different perspectives. Mm. When I was an actress, uh, I did become an actress. And so I would try on different characters to see what they felt like and see what felt like me. And of course, none of them did. And in the end, I just, you know, gave up the illusion of all of that and really searched for my identity. But my inner community, it's like when I found out I'd been lied to, it's like one of them is, I told you, you were so stupid. What a dumbbell you are. And the other one might say, oh, now let's have compassion. This person might be in pain. And, you know, it was just all these different voices and characters inside of my head. And to be able to get consensus with all these different characters was close to impossible. It's, so I had to learn to work with, with all of them and then learn who could take precedence in this. That's interesting, yeah. Sounds like one of those actors was an inner critic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and, and it's, so, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. It's like I realized in my 40s that I cried for the first time because I didn't know who my mommy was. And during that time, it's like my inner community was like, yeah, you really need to release this. Oh, you need to find out who your mother is. And another one was like, you know what? You need professional help. And that at the time was the voice that won out. Mm. And what I did is I began searching for anybody. Like, I'd never had counseling my whole life. I began to look for some kind of psychotherapist or a counselor that actually worked with adoptees. And I was surprised. There wasn't much out there. I mean, there was nothing out there. And then I found one person who was giving a, a workshop just for adoptees in the Virgin Islands. And I thought, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So without reading this person's book, I jumped a flight and went there and was with seven other adoptees. And it's the first time I had been around other adoptees, except my adopted brother, who never cared about it. And it was also life-changing during that and that was with um joe soul and so he uh, was pivotal at that time to be able to open me up and that's the first time i even heard about the primal wound and all these things we experience and i wrote a song while i was there for all the adoptees and 
and sang it when um, we parted. And that was amazing. So sometimes my inner community um, would give me different ideas from all over the place. And I had to decide who, who's, who's going to win here. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. That was a three-day retreat. And when I heard that you had experienced that, I just thought, I can't say it enough, that in-person retreats, conferences, where, we, where you and I first met, as a matter of fact, they do wonders. They can really be so helpful in our journeys. Oh, God, yes. I was just so enthralled. I jumped into everything while I was there. Actually, I was asked to give a presentation for one, I think it was 2019, and I was doing a presentation called Beyond All Odds and was going to perform some of my songs, my story songs about my adoption search. And then COVID hit and the whole thing was canceled. So I went from being a newbie and just investigating everything that was going on there to ending up later being a person who was invited to, to, you know, share. Mm. So I still look forward to doing that at some point. But yeah, I hope you get to do that. Yeah. My girlfriend, she was the one that said, you got to go. You got to go to this. She came over one day and my, my house was plastered with pieces of paper all over the walls. I had hanging banners. I had gotten a DNA test and printed out any second and third cousins. I didn't have any first. And just attempting to put them in some kind of order that matched up who might be paternal, who might be maternal. And she came in and I had this patchwork quilt of papers taped together all through my sunroom, into my kitchen, and falling out into my dining room. It was quite a mess. When she came in, she had to kind of hopscotch through to get to me. And she saw that. And she says, you know what? I'm taking you to a movie. And she took me to see The Lion. And that was such an amazing film to me because I actually lived in India 11 years. And when it came to the part of Saru, who was the major character, of him having papers and maps up all over the wall, she kind of elbowed me and goes, that's you. (laughs) (laughs) She was a major player for me because I had helped her get her baby back. She had been a a surrogate mother and and freaked out um, when she relinquished her baby. And so I helped her uh, figure out the legalities of getting the baby back. So she was all about my search. And so she said after that movie, she goes, there's an adoption congress coming up and you've got to go. Finally, at the last minute, I went to Atlanta where I met you. And uh, there was no rooms left at the hotel. And I met this woman. Her name is Mary. And um, unbelievable. We just bonded. She was from Texas. And she let me share her room with her. Mm. And we stayed, we stayed up that night talking forever and really bonded. And she had to leave the next morning early from the conference to go on a cruise or something. And she had told me that she was a search angel, but that she only worked in Texas because that's what she knew. But when she left that day, she said, I'm going to help you. So it was a couple of weeks later when she came back from the cruise that uh, we connected again and she became my search angel. Mm. So that Congress was just a big, another big turning point for me between her and then she was part of DNA detectives, which people can find, you know, on Facebook and Lana, who was in that too, they tried to discover, you know, what, where it came from. Atlanta was pretty special. I had been to many conferences through the years, and that one's very memorable to me. For one reason, I didn't stay in the hotel like I normally do, and so I did miss the benefit 
of, I guess, spending more time with adoptees, like in the evening, like when you described staying up all night or staying up late um, to talk, because I remember that happening very often at conferences. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And then you talked about Facebook, the the groups that you were able to connect with. Mm-hmm. And and I know when we talked, when we spoke on the phone, I think the last time you were telling me about Fireside, I've heard so many great things about Fireside. You're you're a member of that too, right? That group. Oh yeah, Fireside I, adoptees. Yeah, Fireside adoptees is is really wonderful. Yeah, it's not a gigantic group, but it it's just so natural, and people everyone has a chance to speak. And typically it'll turn into, they're on Thursdays and Sundays. I forgot the timing. And I I try to go when I can. But being a goat mom, I have to milk the goats at seven. <laughs> and they're particular. They're mm. really queenies. <laughs> so I don't, all, I don't make it all the time. But uh, groups like that, especially like on a Zoom thing, are really beneficial because you, you not only can hear people give their different perspectives, but you can, you can kind of feel it. A lot of them will have their video on and you can see their faces and their emotions. And then people give feedback. And it's like making connections. I think making connections in the adoptee world is so vital mm-hmm. for me. It's like they're my co-conspirators. <laughs> Adoptees are my tribe yeah. for truth and transparency. This is what we want. We want that truth. We want transparency. And so, oh, there's a, a book I read called The Power of Eight. And so I do believe that groups and, and coming together, finding who your tribe is as an adoptee, that to me was really important. Who is my tribe? Mm-hmm. Who can I relate to? So these adoptees groups are, are great for that. I call them my co-conspirators. So I, I went pretty deep into finding my tribe. At one point, I had a vision, um, which t- took over the next 14 years of my life totally. And um, the vision kind of came down to me in seven rays of light and the execute took me four years to figure out how to manifest the vision and that vision ended up being um i founded the first permaculturally designed and planned echo village of north america called earth haven echo village and in retrospect I was trying to create a family, a tribe that would never leave me. I've always been so, I don't know, there's a fear that comes up in me somehow inside my body. Not not obvious, but something inside of me freaks out if I think somebody's deceiving me or I think somebody might leave me. I'm going to be the first to jump off that boat before anyone Anyone can leave me. And mm. so creating an entire community? Ah, of course. Right. <laughs> so in retrospect, I realized what gave me the drive to manifest that vision. So in that vision of Earth Haven Echo Village, which still exists today, there's it's like 360-something acres all off the grid in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And I was the first to... I, I just bit the bullet and did it. And I was the first to to move on the land, the first to build there. I created all kinds of crazy things within the community. And um, I left about four years ago because after doing 14 years of Earth Haven in this village, I ended up going to India for two weeks and I threw away my return ticket and stayed 11 years. And I took all of the skills that I had learned in starting an echo village, which was all new to me. I mean, I'd been a costume designer and actress. 
I lived in New York, Miami, LA, and to be, you know, living off the grid in the middle of nowhere was was new. And to acquire all of the skills to start a community was definitely all new to me. Mm-hmm. So then I had an arsenal of tools. So I went to India for that two weeks and I ended up throwing my return ticket away because I saw an infant on the street with an ear infection and a dog nibbling at it. And that just freaked me out that this was happening in my world. So I ended up taking all the skills that I had learned in starting Earth Haven Echo Village and applied them to helping support villages in India that were alternatives to orphanages, women's shelters, and old age homes. That was an amazing, rewarding experience. And I met my teacher there, too. You were sharing a little bit about your journey as it, I guess, relates to being an adoptee earlier. And I just want the listeners to know at least a part of your story as it relates to reunion. Well, I hadn't hadn't found my birth parents yet. It was... You know, in India, my my teacher became my spiritual father, and I had this idea that, you know, to become enlightened, first you got to lose your mind, right? I was actually called a a saint there, crazy as it sounds. And to be that, uh, you have to give up your attachment to family and all of this. And so I had this thought back then that, well, maybe I was right all along. I don't need to know. Maybe that's just keeping me attached to the physical world. So anyway, to bring it back to my journey, I still hadn't gotten anywhere. And when I came back, it was like, I, I need to find this. I, I was looking at the map. I put up a map of India, and then it dawned on me. There was a, a tape recording of one of the psychics who had told me I would meet this man, and blah, blah, blah. And I would travel in a triangle like seven times with him. Well, that ended up happening. And so I I started listening again to all of the psychic recordings and realized that a lot of that had come true. And I was hot on finding my mother again. And this went on for decades of me searching and then going down a rabbit trail and then searching and going down another hole and then searching. I left Earth Haven because my place I had rented out for this long time I'd been in India. And I came back to our original way station where I'm living now, which was a temporary place before we bought land. And there's six acres here and it's a small community of five houses. So I came here and it was a mess and I spent all this time cleaning it up and refinishing floors, doing all of that, making it my sanctuary. And my friend came over to douse for me. He was going to douse a well. And he, he said, Valerie, you really need to get a DNA test. You'll get someplace if you do that. And he suggested National Geographic Genome Project. So I got a, a test from the Genome Project. And when I got the results back, it um, didn't give me any matches. And that was super disappointing. But what it did tell me is that I have a very high percentage of Denisovan or Denisovan, however you want to call it, DNA. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? Nobody I talked to had heard of it. So I researched a little bit. I got online and I Googled for it. And the first thing that came up is something like, meet the strangest hybrid hominoid in history. I'm like, oh, that explains it. I'm an alien. Of course. I knew it. I knew I never fit in. (laughs) So, (laughs) So from that, you know, it was like a year of me going down rabbit holes of, the Denisovans and, and, you know, like being on some of these groups, I, I registered with just about any adopted group you can imagine. And I'm like asking people, are any of you Denisovan? 
so my first DNA test with National Geographic just led me down rabbit holes about being Venezuelan DNA. And then from there, it took quite a while until I got another one. Everybody was saying, test with ancestry. So I did. I tested with ancestry. And when I got my results back again, at least there was matches, but nothing, no first match, nothing like that. I sent so many messages via ancestry and printed out numerous people's family trees, those that I could find, and nothing made any sense. And then it was another year or so later that I I thought, well, I'm on this. I'm not going to give up. And I got a third DNA test. So I got one with 23andMe. And 23andMe had a lot of different ones than Ancestry did. And then I uploaded to, let's see, Heritage. And um, there was another one I forgot right now. Uploading to places that you can put your DNA from and then you can build trees from there and get hints. So this went on for years. And even my search angels just were baffled about what was going on. And so let's see, I'm going to skip over years and years and years and go to the point where one day a first cousin appeared. And I know from my research that a first cousin can be closer because you're adopted, right? So that's like a half a thing. So it turned out that this was a first cousin, um, but it only had the initials. And it had somebody who was, uh, I know it was female, that's all I know. And I ended up tracking down the person who managed that person's um, site and went on a wild goose chase down through Florida to try and find them. That's another crazy story. Wasn't that person, and I thought they were lying in the end, but it turns out later it was someone else. And then another year or so goes by, and finally I get a high match. And so, I mean, it just had happened. And the person actually went on Ancestry to find out who their grandmother was. Long story short, turns out that this is my half-sister and that oh, I ended up finding out who my, my birth father was and that the reason why nothing matched up with me at all was because he was also adopted. Yeah, when I heard that part in your story, I was like, wow. Yeah. And so he, I got his birth certificate and it was, you know, there was a place on the birth certificate for God's sakes that says legitimate question mark. And it was written all handwritten. No. So I'm an illegitimate child of an illegitimate child. And that makes me double illegitimate. So that's a double negative. So a double negative is a positive. So that's the way I look at it. I'm positive because I'm double negative. <laughs> so it was pretty wild. I ended up flying to Vegas and um, meeting my half-brother and half-sister and found out that my, my brother was born three months after me. So there was some hanky-panky going on. Mm. Now, I was... A pretty big shock to everyone but they all knew my birth mother I won't go into detail of how I ended up finding her because that would take too long and we're running out of time but I um, finally made contact with my this guy had put up an ancestry tree and I, I wasn't able to figure it out because he didn't share any DNA with me but there was pictures of people that did. And so long story short, my search angel got a hold of somebody who happened to be online and said, Valerie's been sending messages and not getting a response. It's real important for her. Can you let Macy, who I'll call the person I made original contact with, can you let her know to look at her Facebook messages? So I was able to talk to Macy it was weird. So supposedly she was my uncle's daughter. 
she was my first, let's see, she was my first cousin, but we didn't match with DNA. And it was a long time later. She took the test, I think, because she didn't believe me. And turns out she's not related to anybody in the family. Mm. So that was another bomb that went off. But she talked to my birth mother. And then, um, you know, I gave her all, all the information I had of how I knew. And then she got back to me the next day and said that my mother did not um my mother didn't um, fess up to that. So M Macy talked to my birth mother and then called me back the next day and said that my mother did not um, agree that I was her daughter. Mm. She didn't fess up that she'd ever had a child. She never did. Well, here's what happened. Then... You know, I sent a lot more information and I, I wasn't able to get my mother's phone number and um, she didn't have email. So I kept going to this person, Macy, and then Macy really was excited about knowing the truth. And so she talked my mother into agreeing to give me a call. And so Macy got back to me the next day and said, well, I've discussed everything with her and um, she's going to give you a call within a few days those next few days ah, I was so nervous I, I didn't want to leave the house I just was oh how many days is few if you look it up right there's no definite answer and so on the third day I'm supposed to be singing with a band and I'm letting them know I'm not leaving I'm not leaving until I get this call. And they said, oh, oh, well, you know, you could just just let her call and you can call her back. And finally they talked me into it and I got in the car and was backing up. And all of a sudden my phone rings and it's from Florida and I knew she was in Florida. And I like jumped out of my car, leaving it running, got to my back door into my kitchen. And I'm like, oh, I got to just stop and answer. I took a deep breath and I... I answered the phone. I said, in my calmest voice, hello. And uh, there was no response. There, said, there was, did you say there was no response? There was no response. And then I said, hello again. And then by the third time, I'm thinking, well, this is a, another robo call. And I said, hello. And then I realized that my sound somehow had got flipped on my phone. And I turned it on, and the first words I ever heard from my mother was, this is your mommy. I just, I'll never forget that moment. Mm. Not only did she fess up that she knew, but those were the first words I heard. This is your mommy. Mm. And uh, long story short, she agreed to meet me if I'd remain a secret to everyone. And so I'd do anything to meet her. I mean, I, I, I was so blown away that her voice, how she talked, and her laugh on the phone, it, it might as well have been me. Mm. And that was the first mirroring I got. Yeah. Mirroring so, is such a, yeah, such a oh, special thing. So it took a while for her to agree when and all this stuff. And she said I could stay with her. And despite the fact that I'm a secret, she wouldn't let anyone else know. She was in control. She was totally independent. She still drove. And when I got to see her, we went out dancing. She loves to dance. I've danced my whole life. Tell the listeners how old she was. 94. <laughs> Yeah. 94, <laughs> 94. And people had said to me, oh, you know, she's probably dead. Why are you bothering? It's like, don't ever, do not ever tell an adopted dad. Mm -hmm. It can like strip them from the bone. And so I, I, I would get furious if anybody might say that. I never, ever gave up hope mm. beyond all odds. I found her. 
And I'm saying beyond all odds because I, I got my non-identifying information twice. A lot of it was lies. And when I found my adoption papers after my adopted parents died, those were lies too. It listed me as being infant Hansen. There was not one Hansen in all of my 3 DNA tests. Mm. And when I asked my mother, I said, well, who's Hansen? She had no idea. She never used the name. She never heard of it. And I was able to um, get her to sign a, a notarized letter so I could get my original birth certificate. And I sent all the papers in. You know it's a hassle. And I finally got a response saying, well, you sent in all the right papers, but that's not your mother's name on your birth certificate. I said, I know 100% because I'd also got my mother's saliva and had another test done. I knew 100% this was my mother. <laughs> and, um, and it just dawned on me. It's like, okay, will you sign an affidavit saying that you are your name with Hanson on the end. She said, sure. Did it, sent it in, bingo. She had lied about her name on the entire adoption decree. How can they do that? How can an adoption in the 50s, this was, this was crazy. I mean, people could lie about anything when they're, and you'd never know it. So for me to find her was a just about impossible right mm. and I never gave up and so I told her after a while and she didn't she didn't remember the name of my father for I don't know quite a while and then she finally told me his name and then there was nobody that matched up with my DNA on that and I've told you a little bit of that story and so yeah that was because my father was adopted and she didn't know it and she told me she didn't know any of my father's name, which was a total lie. When I went to Vegas, they brought out all these pictures of her with my father years after I was born. Hmm. And later when I met my maternal brother after my mother died, he said, I showed him those pictures, and he said, I always wondered why she went to Vegas every year. I said, did she go alone? I said, yes. So the whole thing was just like one lie after another. It was like a giant onion that had to be peeled piece by piece to get to the truth. Yeah, and I really think that for us adoptees, many times it's a lifelong peeling back. You know, you'd learn something else and and then more. Like with each oh, yeah. person you meet almost. And, and also as they start to recall things and are willing to share them. Yeah, I think it just never stops. Oh, yeah. I'm still <laughs> in search. It's like my paternal sister attested because she didn't know who her grandmother was because our father was adopted and I have a copy of his birth certificate that said he's not legitimate. And on it, it gives the name of my grandfather, which I found lots of information about. He was in theatrics. He was a producer. He was a director. He produced No, No, Nanette. He had theaters in Chicago and Los Angeles. And here I am. I got a Master of Arts degree in theater arts. And that's <laughs> Unbelievable. And and my and he'd been married numerous times. And my father's mother listed on his birth certificate says Robert Wayne Turner. A man's name. A man's name. And so I'm still on the search for that. And I think that my grandmother was actually a famous silent film screen actress. So that's the piece I still have as a as a lollipop to go after. <laughs> Another piece of the mystery. Well, I'm glad you're finding these pieces. You know, as a retired detective, I love to hear about the missing pieces being found. <laughs> so um, in honoring your time, I, 
I know we talked a little bit about what was what is rewarding about being connected and better connected to the adoption community. Have you experienced any challenges? Oh, well, you know, it's like I said before, they're my co-conspirators. The, <laughs> the adoptees themselves, they're the ones I want to I want to be with. And, you know, they, uh, so many adoptees have so many different perspectives. It seems like the majority that I encounter are still in trauma. And that trauma is the number one thing that's talked about. And I, I just want to say that <sighs> once we know where our weirdness and trauma comes from, we can become resilient with that. And by that, we can increase our emotional intelligence so that we are not victimized. Once we know the truth, then we have the ability. And I think, I hate to say responsibility because it's, it's, it's challenging for people to move out of that you know, they call it the fog. Um, yeah, but once those clouds clear and you know what that wound is that makes you itch, at least you know what it is. I mean, it'll never totally scab over, but once you know what that scar is, then you're able to have some um, emotional maturity, I, I call it some emotional intelligence around it so that you can use that for your benefit in rising above that and helping other adoptees. And so talk to the adoptee tribe. That's what I did. Mm. And I have a little bit of different perspective now that I've come out the other side, but of course it took me over six decades to know the truth. And that is a very long time. Yeah. I think emotional intelligence is very important. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's like navigating through this evolution and the adoptee land of, of who am I? It's like sometimes you feel like Alice in Wonderland and are ready to take the psilocybin mushrooms, which can also be very helpful tool, by the way. <laughs> You know, we could go on and on and on. I I think as we wrap wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? Oh, I think this is quite a funny thing. And that is my mother agreed to meet me without anybody knowing. And after a while, she said to my please, to please, I'd love to meet my siblings. She threw a party. And I posed as the photographer. Mm. And that. That's how I got to um, be with them. But I'd do anything. I would have done anything to be able to meet them and see them in person. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I've been rejected by two of my siblings and two I'm in communication with. And that feels good. At least I have that. And the more I talk to them, the more I know, the more I discover. So it's a lifelong journey being an adoptee. And... It can also make us very powerful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Do not give up. Yeah, that's powerful guidance. Don't give up. Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's been great. You are a wonderful storyteller. Oh, I, I just, I get so excited when I talk about it. So I'm sorry if my voice has gone up and down and I've been jumping in my seat at times. So I hope <laughs> that And you, thank you for being a big inspiration in my life. And it's so exciting to connect with you again after all of these years. It sure and, uh, is. It was such a joy to, to see you respond on Facebook um, about where we met. And yeah, this reconnection is wonderful. And congratulations on your book. I can't wait to hear the entire uh, memoir. So oh, thank yeah, you. that's going to be... I'll be posting it on Instagram. I'm like Val Naaman author. 
and also on Facebook, which is Val Neyman Author. And then I've got a website up now with a pre-launch order, and that's ValerieNeyman.com. My last name is N-A-I-M-A-N. So I hope people will find me and connect with me and share. Yes, I hope so. I hope they go right to your website and and stay connected to where you are with the release. And yeah, your your voice is wonderful when you were reading the chapter I got to listen to the other day. So I'm excited oh, for you. <laughs> that's great. Did you get to hear my story song too? That that's on my website. I did. You have a beautiful voice. <laughs> oh, it's pretty bluesy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again. It's been such an exciting hour of talk, or however long we've talked. It's been wonderful. Valerie and I may not have had much time to get better acquainted five years ago upon meeting for the first time, but I absolutely intend to stay connected with her going forward to keep learning how to best navigate my life in an ever-changing world. I always love hearing how adoptees become skilled detectives. We gather information and sometimes spend years putting the pieces together, but we do it. Then what usually follows is being able to come into our authentic self. Though it took decades, that's what happened to Valerie. One of the things we most agree on is truth and transparency in adoption land that is often found within the adoptee tribe. Valerie invites you to join her on Instagram at Val Naiman Author and on Facebook by the same handle. Her book is now available for pre-order on her website, ValerieNaiman.com. Thank you, Valerie, for having this conversation with me. It was a joy listening to a beautiful bluesy song about your adoption story. Your creativity and tenacity inspires me to no end. One of the many things I appreciate about you is your willingness to share what has worked in your journey from building your platforms, orchestrating a space to record in your home on a budget, and how worthwhile it would be for me to produce an audio version of my book. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a person that wants to see other people succeed. I know your heart through your words, and I hope you know that you are an absolute gem in our community. Lastly, I want to deeply thank you for saying to our adoptee peeps, never give up. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.